0: Okay, Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. And the king spoke unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years. Then at the end of those years they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel, Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Often we focus on this part of the Daniel story as the thing you teach in Sunday school to the little kids. And then the awesome end time prophecy stuff, that's what we focus on. That's the part that we like. What we don't understand is that in order to get to a point where there's end time prophecy, you need a man of integrity. You need people of integrity. And ultimately that's In this story, what God was most interested in was Daniel and his integrity. People often say to me, there's a saying that we have in our church all the time, and there's actually a song in Spanish like this, where's the Daniels, where's the Ezekiels, where's the Elijahs? And the answer in the song, and what we often say back is, where are the men like Daniel? Where are the men like Elijah? Where are the men like Ezekiel? Where are the women like Deborah? Where are the women like Esther? Where are they? As far as I'm concerned, there seems to be something missing in the body of Christ. And if it's missing, and if Jesus said, greater things than this shall you do, then where is it? We need to be at God's standard. If we are at God's standard, then we will begin to see the Holy Spirit move the way that he should be moving. I'm not fooling myself. I go to my church and I say, we still need to strive for more. I don't see God moving the way that he said he was going to move, that there's supposed to be more. Where is it? I'm starting to see things going on, though. The Bible says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. So now we're in a place of brokenness, and I hope that's where everybody here is. So right after all this stuff happened with us, the Holy Spirit began to move in an extremely powerful way. But it's because we ran to God. We ran to him. All of us. Me. So in a church where this is going on, there needs to be a corporate response that where every single one of you needs to examine your lives and say, God, am I missing it somehow? I was listening to a, a preacher, and this is just food for thought. I'll let you decide what to do with this. But he was talking about the fact, and this is a guy in, one of the, um, in a Middle Eastern country who's a Christian, Christian pastor. He says, people, if someone walked in off the street into your service in a bathing suit, and came down the aisle, some woman, nice-looking woman, and, and a nice-looking guy. And they sit down in the service. And then they, I don't even know what you guys would do. I don't even know what we would do. That's never happened to us. But um, they sit down. Maybe you throw a prayer cloth over them. I don't know. They sit down. And, and then they leave. And then they, they come back to service again. And then they, they sit down, they've got the, the bathing suit. Now all of a sudden you've got more people coming with bathing suits that are sitting, sitting in your service. I hope you have a lot of prayer clothes. So he mentions this. Now that's, that's kind of a semi-obscene thing to do, right? Right? But listen to this. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. So he says, why is it that Christians can gather together in mixed company on a beach all in bathing suits? Did the spirit of lust suddenly leave the beach and it's no longer there? Just food for thought. I don't want to mess you up too much, but think about that. Think about that. So we find ourselves in a modern-day Babylon. That is where we are. Um, The first thing that the enemy does, he goes in, he infiltrates, and he isolates. We see this. People like Castro go into a country. Either you brainwash the brightest and the best or you kill them, but you do one of the two because they've got to be useful to you. If you're not, then you get rid of them. Or you make them useful to you. And there's a reason why they do that. So the first thing the enemy did was isolation. The first thing. The king took Daniel and his friends and separated them from their families and from their God. In Babylon, they were separated from the regular worship of God and from the teaching of the word of God and from the fellowship and wisdom of the people of God. Now, the enemy is really subtle. We don't really... uh, not too many of you, unless you're Satan worshipers, are going to go run to some idol and worship it, even though there are some. And there's some in churches, too. And I grew up in that. My, my grandmother was a witch, and I had witches in my family and the whole deal. So, um, so I know what that's like. But um, what the enemy does instead to isolate you is he separates you. And he gets you focused on yourself. That's what he does. Anybody watch Nature Channel shows? I do. I don't like them too much when things get killed, but, you know, my husband, I'll watch it, and then if somebody's going to get, I try to make them change it, but it's nice. So they have these Nature Channel shows. If you notice, who's the one that gets picked off of the animals? The weakest, and usually what's that weak guy doing? He's off by himself. He's off by himself. So the enemy's gonna work hard, and there's a way that he does it. I'm gonna tell you in a minute. He's gonna work hard to try to isolate you. Because there's not only strength in no, uh, numbers, but there's 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 strength in, in unity. Um what is the word? Homogeneous. Homogeneousness? There's strength in that as well. In the in the animal world, you'll see a bunch of zebras. Why do you think God made zebras that way? Because when you put them all together, it looks like a big zebra and it's hard to pick them out. We don't like unity. We don't like unity because we want to be individuals. We want to be off on our own and we want to be noticed. But there's strength and safety in numbers and even in a lot of being the same. It's not a sin to do that. So... What he tries to do is pull us off. So how does the enemy get us to do that? He gets us to focus on ourselves. And then when he gets us to focus on ourselves, then he can get us to focus on other gods, the gods of our own making. Let's turn to first Kings, Chapter 11, first Kings, chapter 11, verse one. Now we all know Solomon was the wisest man around. That's what he asked for. When God said, what do you want? He asked for wisdom. Good choice. Good choice. So here's this wise guy, wise man. Verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast unto these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses. Man, why he wants more? He's got so many of them. I never understood this. 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart... Was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his his father David had been. For Solomon went after, now listen to this Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and the detestable item, Molech, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is the east of Jerusalem. Oh, here's Molech, sorry. And Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon, thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Now, we all know this. We've heard this story before. And I got into an interesting conversation with one of our pastors because as a woman, this ticks me off. I don't know about you, but this, this kind of stuff ticks me off. I'm going, what, what is it with this guy? Now, what Solomon wanted and how the devil got him is he got him with the desires. It's not that he suddenly forgot who God was. And I believe that even as he as he was worshiping, not worshiping, but helping to worship these gods, Molech being one that where there was human sacrifice involved, I don't believe that he believed in them. His heart was turned away to them because of what he got out of it which was all these amazing women. And you ladies know that if you're in the church, those women out there in the world, they could work it. So they had their special things, their special ways. And Solomon, because he had power, power and pride corrupts. He was able to get what he wanted. And as a result, he ended up in this place. So this is why the devil isolates us. Now, if the devil makes it all about you, then you spend less time in church. You spend time away from your family. All of a sudden, you've got appointments that are at the same time as your Bible study or at the same time as as Sunday service. All of a sudden, because things are... Now, I'm sorry, I don't know, So, but I'm leaving, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> you can fight with Pastor Marie later. Um, all of a sudden, now, Sunday, which is the day you should be in church because you're worried and so freaked out about the economy, you now have a job that you're willing to take because the money's good and it doesn't matter. You know, you worship God every day of your life. Little by little, the devil pulls you away. And I see it. It's the isolation principle because as a pastor in church, when people start not doing too well spiritually, I see people, they sit in the front row, right? Then all of a sudden, mysteriously, when things aren't going right, a couple of weeks later, they're sitting in the middle. And I know it's really over when they're sitting in the back row. When they used to be in the front, because there's this, you know, we prepare ourselves to separate ourselves. So the devil will have you do it, and he pulls us out. Luke chapter 8, if we can go there. So Solomon loved the Lord, I believe that. And there was some amazing scriptures that came after that. When you hit your head against the wall, it's amazing what will come out of that. It's, our artists in our church, our songwriters, our dancers, do great stuff when they've just been beat up by God amazing stuff and David was the same way no it's true you know it right is that not true it is we can never forget that we need the Lord the enemy will try to get us concerned and consumed with the cares of this world this past Sunday I was on the pulpit and I was praying to open the service um and I said this one phrase and the worship leader picked it up and it's the moment I forget that I need you I'm in trouble So we then sang for about 20 minutes after that, only that the moment I forget that I need you, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. The moment that I forget that I need you, I'm in trouble. We sang that for 20 minutes, 20 minutes over and over again. And people were weeping because it's easy to forget that you need the Lord. We need them every single day, every single moment. That's why when I walk into a church, if I don't see the pastors worshiping God, then I say to myself, there's, there's something wrong. If I walk into this room and I don't see people worshiping God because we're seated in heavenly places with Christ, you don't have to wait till you're in heaven. If God is in this room, your faces should be on the floor. You should be washed with his presence. You should sense him. Who cares about what the person next to you is thinking? And I've often been told... I have often been told it's a cultural thing. I said, no, it's not. Because when you step into heaven, I'm going to be flat on the floor and you're going to be there too. There ain't going to be no culture in the way at that point. It's not a cultural thing. It's a sensitivity thing. Sensitivity thing. And if you can't kneel, sit on the floor, but you should be overwhelmed by the presence of God. The minute that we forget to tremble in the presence of God, we are in big, fat trouble. Big trouble. Never, ever forget that. Never forget that. Luke chapter 8, verse 14. So he gets us busy. Can't get somebody to sin, you get them busy. And then they will sin. You forget your family, you forget your church, because you forget that you need them, so you're in trouble. Verse 14. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Lots of churches are filled with people that are stuck in a place of immaturity. People, and we, we have this running joke. There's a person at our church that when he was 45, 40 years old, we asked him, "So when are you gonna, you know, get involved in ministry?" "Oh, um, in about five years, you know, because I got to pay off my house." He's 50. So when are you gonna get involved in ministry? "Oh, soon, any minute, in a year. I just gotta straighten out some things." 55, when are you going to get involved in the ministry? When I retire, I'm going to get involved in ministry. 65 hits, and of course, he never did anything. He's still alive, of course, but he's not doing anything. There's ministry for every single person in the house of God. If you are grateful and thankful to the Lord, there's always something that you can say. There should be a reproduction of yourself. Women, by nature, are mothers. If you have the heart of God, you should be able to look on the face of a person that doesn't have Jesus and be compelled, compelled to offer them The gospel you should not be able to help yourself and and if you're not all of you know where you're at if you're not say god change my heart change my heart if you say you're shy then god help me to do it better help me find ways to do it but ask god to move on you because the only thing that matters is eternity our eyes need to be set on eternity not on this earth and don't wait till you're older because you know you're going to die soon to then do something for jesus that doesn't, that doesn't fool God. But I don't want to wait. I want to do what I need to do for the Lord. The next thing. Uh, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now, what's scary to me about this verse, and and we all of the pastors say this when we stand on the pulpit. <laughs> at our church, and our people will attest to this. We stand on the pulpit, we'll we'll tell people, not all of you are going to heaven. You're not. It's a common statement that we make. Now, I'm not espousing Calvinist theology or who's saved and who's not or predestination. All I'm saying is if you're not sure, you may not be saved. And you need to get to God. You need to work stuff out. You need to bear the kind of fruit that the word of God says, because in this list, it's scary. If some of us look at ourselves, we see a lot of this. God is always for later. We compartmentalize church. I have my job and I have church, but we are the church. There is no compartment for God. Everywhere that we go, everything that we do. But you don't forsake the fellowshipping of the brethren either, because then it's taken to the other extreme. Well, I'm the church, so I don't need the church. Absolutely not. Because unity is the important thing. When people stood in the upper room, the power of God came as a result of the unity in that room. Descended as a result of that. You don't get unity being apart. As a matter of fact, this isolation technique that the enemy uses, everybody's on the internet now. That is by far one of the most isolating things that the enemy has ever come up with. God at the same time will use it to go to the ends of the earth. I believe that. But it's one of the most isolating things. Those friends of yours on Facebook aren't your friends. You don't know who they are. You don't know who they are. And that guy that you're dating on the online thing, you don't know who he is either. So we have to be careful because it's isolating. Uh, and this is something that Pastor Sam, one of the dancers' uh, dads, says. He's one of the worship pastor at our church. He says, the, the fatherless generation produces shepherdless generation, he says. And it's very, very true. There's many churches that suffer from shepherdlessness, but there are also churches that suffer from two different kinds of things beyond that. You have a shepherd who will teach, but will not do the dirty part of the shepherding job, which is correcting, you know, telling people the truth, even if they leave, telling them the truth, letting them know what it is. And then the third type you have You have people that will never submit to the shepherd. They don't want to submit to the shepherd. So you sit under the teaching all the time. I hear from God for myself. You go through this whole list of things. If you are in this church, or like we tell our people, if you are in my church, that means that you are saying that we are your pastors. That means that you value our opinion, that the call of God upon your life fits within the call that God has for this church. That's why you're here. If that's not it, and you're complaining, then you need to find a place where you fit. But not complain and gossip, because God says he hates it. He hates it. He hates it. He hates it. He hates those that sow discord amongst the brethren. He cannot stand it. Because the ultimate thing before the power of God falls is unity. Discord, division, gossip, strife, all stop that from happening. And it's all a work of the enemy. 100%. That's why when you look at this list of things, these aren't the typical sins. These are all bolsters, proud, blasphemers, unthankful, unholy, slanders. I love this one headstrong. We are an army. We are also a bride. We are a combination of two things. That's how God describes us. So because we have this American mindset, we lose the Eastern mindset. When you go, we have a guy at our church that, where is Nelson from? What country? somebody tell me kuwait he's from kuwait he has this thing his mother and father are christians and they have all these things that they do that are in deference to authority and these are brilliant people Uh, nelson is an amazing mathematician computer person but he got saved and he understands he understands authority he understands it because you cannot have you cannot have a good army without authority if you went to the we are in a war does everybody know that We are in a war daily. The minute you get up, even while you're sleeping, you are in a war. So somebody who's at the front line, if the general says, go, and somebody goes, I don't think we should go that way. What kind of army is that? Think about it. And in Eastern countries, they don't have a problem with this idea. They don't. We only have a problem here. And some of you are still having a problem with me, a problem as I'm saying it. Amen? But I get to leave, like I said. So it doesn't matter. Um, But the truth is, Oneness, unity. You want to see Elijah's, you want to see the power of God, you want to see people transformed and healed the minute they walk into the service before anybody opens their mouth to sing a song or whatever. You are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So God works the change in you. You carry that, you carry the glory of God on you. But you can only carry it if we get rid of some of these things. Amen? And God wants us to work on each one of ourselves individually. The next thing the enemy does is indoctrination. They were taught the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. They were to receive privileged instruction for privileged positions. The king ordered Aspenaz to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, including mathematics, astronomy, natural history, agriculture, architecture. They would eat the king's food and drink the king's wine, and after three years of service, they would have a guaranteed position in the king's personal service. So he's working on them, and he's indoctrinating them. I have somebody at my church now who's doing this as an offering to the Lord and as a help to me, who is my personal trainer. And that wouldn't mean anything to you, but to our people, they know I was fatter before, so they know there's a difference now. But I have to choose to submit. When I go there, and he literally stands next to me four days a week for, what, 10 weeks already? 10 weeks? Yeah, 10 weeks. Everything I do, lifting weights, I'm on the elliptical. He's like standing there. I'm like, would you go away, please? But I have to choose to submit because, I mean, he's not forcing me to do this. have to choose to submit. So there's two kinds of indoctrination. The enemy does the indoctrination as well. But we're afraid of saying, people ask us, do you have an agenda in our church? And we say, yes, we do. Our agenda is to preach Jesus Christ. We definitely have an agenda. Because you know why? The world has an agenda. And there's a continual, insidious, insistent repetition of ideas from the world over and over and over again. And whether we realize it, most of us have adopted it into our way of being. I've been to churches sometimes, and I know it's not the case here because you've been taught the truth, but I've been to churches sometimes where I walk in and I get into a conversation with somebody regarding abortion and say, well, I don't believe in it, but I believe it's a choice. And these are in churches. These are people in churches. So what's happening is there's the continual repetition of ideas over and over and over again. And sooner or later, we're gonna buy those ideas. So we have to be careful. It may seem legalistic, but it's not. We have gone so far trying to get away from legalism that there's almost no parameters in some areas anymore. There isn't. We have to watch what we watch, the movies, the music, all of those things. We have to be careful with them. And you guys as moms, spiritual moms, which every single one of you should be on some level, you have to watch this for the kids. And not just your kids, but for the kids in the Lord that have just come in. Watch this for them. Tell them straight up, look, you shouldn't be watching that R-rated movie. No swearing is not okay. No nudity is not okay. We have a lot of artists at our church. So they go, well, they have to do that for the partisan. No, they don't. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You don't, we have actors. And to be on our team, you cannot uh, do secular stuff and also be on our team, on our worship arts team. They're separated for the Lord, completely and totally. And we have some artists that are coming that are in, in, the, in the process, they do what they do, but we chose to do what we do because it's the constant repetition. Sometimes people say, they look at us, they think we're liberal, which we're not. We're actually very conservative. But we're choosing to use our tools. If you put something in a song, you notice how easy it is to remember it? It's easy. You can memorize entire passages of of scripture like that. Little kids will do it. Now, if you try to sit there and just dry read it and memorize it, it'll probably take you 10, 20 times as long. Really, really long. So we need to use this. Whatever giftings you have, yes, indoctrinate absolutely. The world wants to make us ashamed of it, but it's the very thing that they're doing. They're doing. So we need to do the indoctrination. And, you know, you have to watch what you have coming in. You know, I remember when I first got saved, I had a pretty radical conversion. There were things that kind of just dropped off of me that I hadn't learned. Like I stopped swearing spontaneously. I had an aversion to any movies with anything in it that was objectionable, all that kind of stuff. And I know I would listen to people talk sometimes. You know, remember when people would talk about soap operas and stuff? As though the characters are real. And you have to watch what you watch too because it brings dissension. See, the enemy hates family. And every single part of the indoctrination agenda is to destroy family. Because the family is the building block of the church. So if you look at it, homosexuality is glorified, death is glorified, there's all this vampire stuff, that's glorified. Anything that brings the occult and darkness the number one top show i think is paranormal or something like that i don't remember what the name is but it's one of those occult shows that's the number one show so it's glorifying all the things that are demonic desensitizing your children and opening them up and you because some of you are watching it desensitizing you so you'll watch that movie with this guy who's having an affair with some woman and then you're looking at your husband like what have you been doing today when he walks in the door It fills your head with dumb ideas. But it's the truth. This stuff works on you. We got to watch what it is that we're doing. But the point that I'm trying to make to you, okay, art doesn't imitate life. Art molds lives and manipulates lives. We do not need the world to validate us. We don't. We serve a creative God. We can create through God. We do not need the world's validation at all. As a matter of fact, there was a big change in this country. I know in the 60s, we saw the sexual revolution, we saw rebellion to parents, all of that, but I sat down one day and I really sat and thought about it, right? Because we say in the 60s is when the country changed. No, it didn't. The country had to have changed with the parents of those kids from the 60s. If you look at the 1940s, what ended up happening is there was all this economy that was created by the war, Everybody remember that? Everybody remember the Rosie the Riveter posters? Now, I remember as a kid looking at those posters saying to myself, that's really masculine-looking poster for that time. I thought it was odd. I didn't know any better. But the women, because the men were not here, went out and took the men's jobs. So they left their traditional roles as parents, uh, mothers at home, went in to take these jobs. The husbands went away overseas into the war, they were exposed to all these different ideas out there in the world. They then brought all those ideas back home with them. The women now disenfranchised from their jobs are now back, are now back at home. They had a taste of, quote-unquote, independence, even though if you're in Jesus, look at the Proverbs 31 woman, industrious, right? I know some of you have trouble with this, but wipe the women's lib crud out of your head, okay? Get rid of it. Get rid of it because it's not godly. It's not the Lord at all. Yes, we can have industry. Yes, we can do things. We can do things out of our homes. But our first thing that we need to do is to be there for our families. First and foremost, your kids before the age of five, you've probably heard this here because you've got great teachers, before the age of five is when children are molded. So we have to make choices. Do we really need those two cards? Do we really need a bigger house right now? How can I help my grandchildren? How can I help my daughter so that my kids can be with their mom? Protect the up-and-coming generation, even if you did it wrong. Mothers cannot be fathers. That's another thing that got me in a lot of trouble at at my church. Moms cannot be dads. I've heard single mothers go over and over again, I've had to be a mother and a father. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're never a father. You're never, 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 never a father. And I'm using this, you know, we come from, from the city and stuff, but... So what we're telling people, and I had some of the single women get mad at me. I said, no, no, no. What I want you to understand is if you're a single mom, if you raised your kids on your own, don't you want your kid to meet a husband or a, or, or a wife? Let's say you have a little girl. To meet a husband that will love them, where they have a good family, good respect, good structure, good traditional family. Isn't that what everybody wants? So then you need to teach that. Don't glorify dysfunction. Take it out of your vocabulary. The third thing. Um, It's compromise. So he isolates us and indoctrinates us and gets us to a point of compromise. By the way, there's a saying that goes around all the time. It takes a village to raise a child. But, again, at our church, I always say the parents are supposed to raise the child. The villagers are crazy. You don't know who the villagers are. You don't know who they are. You don't. So Compromise. The Jewish young people that were enrolled in Nebuchadnezzar school were given a daily provision of the king's delicacy and the wine of which he drank. This was the good stuff. And it was really easy to get used to. Now I want you to understand what the enemy does is, through the repetition over and over again of different ideas, um, what he does is he creates strongholds. And we have to be careful not to buy the lie. Because there's different kinds of strongholds. There are personal and individual strongholds and there's societal strongholds. But you don't get to the societal stronghold until enough people have bought it. And it becomes a common view. Um, Go with me to 2 Corinthians 10. I know you guys are thinking about food. But that's okay. You'll survive. Just fast a little. (laughs) It'll be good for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to start at verse 3. Everybody knows the scripture. For though we walk in the flesh, and we're going to start at verse 3. Everybody knows the scripture. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience. When your obedience is fulfilled. Now, a lot of people love to look at the scripture as a more global sort of let's do prayer walks. Let's take over the city, all of that. But when this was written, he was really specifically addressing individuals and what we needed to do. So if something does not line up with scripture, I don't care how long you've been saved. We have habits. We, this is why fasting and prayer is important, because God will begin to reveal to you the things that are off, the habits, the things that shouldn't be there. If you have ideas that exalt themselves against the knowledge of Christ, then you need to tear them down because it's a stronghold. It's got to come down. Those things will lead you to compromises, those things will lead you to not fulfill God's call or God's will for your life at this very moment. There's things that God wants you to do, and you're constantly in the process all the time. Even when we look at Aaron, right? Moses goes up to the mountain and leaves Aaron behind, and what does Aaron do? He makes an idol. Anybody, Solomon, the wisest man on the earth, anybody can find themselves in this position. The moment I forget that I need you, I'm in trouble. We have to remember that we always need God. We go from glory to glory, but I'm not Jesus. And nobody in here is Jesus either. None of us is. So we need to work on that. So he tries to get us to a place of compromise. And it's not just trials that test our integrity, but more often than that, it's privilege. God's blessings will often test our integrity. Many of us are given platforms. God blesses you, say, Lord, please, I want you to do such and such. Help me to get this job. Help me to get this position. Help me to enter into this area of ministry. And when you finally do it, or help me to do something out there, you finally do it, you finally get it. You do not use the platform that God has given you for fear of losing it, for fear of losing it. We have a responsibility to speak the truth no matter where we are placed and no matter what it is that we do. Daniel had an unashamed boldness before the Lord. Now, when he said, I'm not going to eat that stuff from the table, he could have, just think about it, because a lot of us do this kind of thing. He could have said, sat at the table and thrown out the stuff he wasn't going to eat. And nobody would have been the wiser and he would have been, quote unquote, honoring God. But when we're honoring God, why not do it to the fullest? Because it's not just a benefit for us, but it's a benefit for the people around us that see that we are living for Christ. Let them see it. Let them know it. Daniel had an unearthly protection. Proverbs 16, 7 says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So don't compromise and forfeit God's protection. We need to learn to be instant and obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That means every single moment of the day. And Daniel was unhindered in his persistence. A preacher friend of mine said, the church of Jesus Christ does not have to compromise to be recognized. And it doesn't. And the good life weans you away from the hard life that God has called you to. If your life is too easy, there's something wrong. I'm sorry to tell you, but there is. There's something wrong. You are no longer engaged in warfare. The devil does not consider you a threat. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. We're wrapping it up. We're almost there. You're going to be eating sandwiches soon. Matthew chapter 10. And I love this when we take pieces of verses. We like one part of the verse, but we don't really notice the other part. Okay? Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. Listen to this. This is Jesus speaking. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, these boys had it mastered. They absolutely hadn't mastered it. They say, if we die, remember they're thrown into the furnace? He can, but if we die, it doesn't make a difference. And I'll tell you, there's, you know, we deal with different theologies that sometimes pass through the church, and there's this extreme reform theology that's around. But I understand why people are drawn to it. Because we are so busy not having parameters anymore, not liking being told what to do, not wanting to be part of the army of God, not wanting to have anything to do with being under authority because we hear from God. That these young people are drawn to that because there's very strict, specific lines. And I understand it. Now, the reason why people can be drawn up to those things is because we're not doing what we should be doing. And people are going to be looking at every single one of you. See, we need to go back. Remember, I said this is a personal thing with God as we've gone through these points. God, you know, am I isolating myself in some way from you? Have I been indoctrinated in ways that I should not have been. Has this led me to compromise? We need to think through these things and be honest with ourselves. Because one of the things that the the devil also did, uh, the king also did, was he changed their names. Changed their names. Because the point was to bring them in there to change their identities, and I believe, hopefully, with all of the boys that were chosen, to send them back out there. Because within the very church... The body of Christ today, we have that. We have people on the inside. Do you know that? People on the inside that do that. The enemy has worked on them, trained them, and there's the little things, a little bit of leaven, the little foxes, the little things that come in. He's trained them. He's trained them to come in, and it's within the church itself. So be careful. Know your word. Stay in the word of God. It's not enough that Pastor Walt teaches it to you. There's got to be an application of it, the washing Washing yourself with the word. Amen. How does a young man cleanse his way? It says in Psalm 119. It's through the word. Through the word. The daily application of the word. You take a bath every day, don't you? Right? Now, we're mindful of that because we don't want to smell. But do you want to smell before the Lord? The washing of water. Washing of the word. As though it's water. Just every single day. So he confuses them there's lots of changes in terminology. The George Orwell book, uh, 1984, talks about this Newspeak thing. Some of you guys have, have, have read it. But, see, that's the enemy's way of doing things. Change the words. Change the, the definition of traditional family. Make things that are dysfunctional, functional. I don't know if you guys saw that pedophile stuff on the Internet, these books that Amazon was selling. That's just the beginning, by the way, of trying to desensitize and to set precedence in the future for the age of consent to come down to maybe 16. And then it comes down to maybe 15 because they know what they're doing. CNN, CNN continually talks about this. I don't know if you guys have seen this bullying thing. Don't get on the bandwagon. The guy that's doing most of the talking about that is a homosexual. Uh, What's his face? What's his name? The anchor with the white hair, Anderson Cooper. He's a homosexual. And if you notice all of, yes, he's a homosexual. If you notice all of the talk has been bullying, but it's because the kids were gay or they said they thought they were gay. This again is another sort of trying to sneak in hate crime stuff, hate speech stuff, a pushing of their agenda. We have to pay attention. If you're listening to secular people, they don't know God. You serve God or you serve the devil or serve money actually, but it's the devil. You You serve one of the two. So if they're not in the service of Christ, you have to weigh everything that's being said. Every last thing. So don't get on that happy bandwagon, oh my God, it's so terrible, the bullying. They didn't care about bullying until they tried to push this homosexual hate speech agenda underneath. I see it for what it is. Everybody needs to see it for what it is. So if our names change, if you change who you are, then you can accept what you do. Change the name and then you can accept what you do. Again, our inspiration, our affirmation, our validation doesn't come from the world. It comes from God. We don't need them to tell us anything. We're at the last thing. And I want you to turn with me to Isaiah. Just so that you can see the pattern is what the enemy always does. If you remember in the beginning, I talked about what dictators will typically do when they come into a country Isaiah 39, I'm sorry. It's a Babylonian prophecy by Isaiah, and it starts at verse 6. And I found this separately one day, and I said, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Verse 6. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of Babylon. So, what the devil wants is once he's gotten you to that place, is to make you unfruitful and unable to reproduce yourself. Now, I don't know, Daniel and the Hebrew boys may have gotten enough favor where this did not happen to them. But there was a definite plan here. And I want you to understand that the devil is out to make you unfruitful. He's out to make you impotent. He's out to make you unable to reproduce the god life that you have inside of you and somebody else this is what he wants so we have to be vigilant we have to watch we have to fight we got to check ourselves we have to wash ourselves with the word every single day i don't care how long you've been saved i don't care if you have degrees in bible you have to guard your heart and your soul so we need to look and make sure that we do that and then we've got to be that front line for the generation coming up, whatever you can do for your children, whatever you can do for those new believers in the Lord, within the church, do it. God is allowing what's happening to this country to happen on purpose. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to take out, it's going to weed the wheat in the chaff. That's what's going to happen. And either you really believe and you live for Jesus, or you don't. So if, even if all your stuff is taken away, because we've even been telling people in our, chur- in our church, look, you know, if you live alone, get a roommate or get somebody else. Simplify your life. Simplify your life because this is, this is not going to get better tomorrow. Trust me, it's not. But also, if you allow the devil to trick you into, I'm going to hoard my stuff and hold on to my stuff. This is an opportunity for you, for you to take and to push uh, God's agenda and the kingdom of God even further. This is not the time to fear. It's not the time to fear. It's not. Believe it. And you will see God begin to move in miracles. You will see God begin to do things that are truly and completely amazing. This is a time of opportunity for the body of Christ. We have to take advantage. Because people are going to run into this ark that are outside that don't know Christ. They're going to be running in here saying, I need Jesus. I need to know the truth. You guys seem to be at peace. You seem to have something that I need and that I want because people are looking for peace. These doors need to be open and ready for what's going to happen. Because one morning I woke up and I remembered, I could hear in my ears what it was. What it was that Noah must have been hearing when he closed the doors to that ark and the waters began to rise. I don't ever want to hear that. There's going to be loads of confusion and things happening, but we need to get our theology straight. And we need to work as one and we need to work as an army. You need to get behind your pastors. Yes, we're all people, but God places order, and there's things that he's doing. And if you're part of this place, be part of this place with everything that you have, everything that you have. And God will use you to fight in a powerful and an amazing way for the things that he has called grace and peace to. Amen?